The Better Business Analysis Institute presents the Better Business Analysis podcast with Kingsman Walsh. Hey, everybody. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Better Business Analysis Podcast with Benjamin Walsh. Brought to you by the Better Business Analysis Institute. Now, if you haven't followed us on LinkedIn, please do so. You can follow me on LinkedIn as well. Visit our website at bba.institute. There's a lot of blogs on there. If you're new to business analysis, then just do our free introduction to business analysis course. You'll get a certificate that you can share on LinkedIn. And if you are truly wanting to get into the discipline of business analysis, then I highly recommend you do one of our paid courses, which um, is very in-depth and will give you all the skills that you need to hit the ground running in a career that pays quite well. Uh, if you decide to do that, then I'm more than happy for you to reach out to me on LinkedIn and I'll actually send you a discount code. Now, this episode, we are still in our strategic planning analysis phase, but we are moving on to some tangibles here. We're doing workshopping and we're talking about how we approach uh, the analysis that we've gathered in our business model canvas. And I will say that it's really important for you to also have an idea about what your current environment your current financial situation is of your company so i didn't have never mentioned this explicitly but i'm assuming here you have the numbers in front of you you know what your ebitda is uh you know what your budgets were for last year you have all your expenditure so you know the basic figures that every company executive should understand about the company uh if you're you know or you may be just facilitating it for them uh going into this process now, this week, we are actually discussing what a mystery is, what puzzles are, and what future games are. So I'm going to leave it there. I hope you enjoy the episode. Now, we're going to continue on with our Business Analysis Unleashed series. In the previous episodes, we have focused on the strategic planning uh, kind of process, uh, looking at different techniques, and then now we're in the last episode, we kind of focused on the business model canvas, which was really focusing now on the enterprise side. And, and you kind of need both the strategic uh, view, the external view, and the internal view, the enterprise view. Uh, so, you know, how the, the market affects your enterprise um, in order to really do decent strategic planning. And I think there's actually really two archetype uh, strategic kind of planning uh, models that we should really be focusing on they're not they're not models of how to do it so if you search for uh, strategic planning models or strategic uh, objective models i'm not really talking about the kind of how models what i'm really talking about is just an observation that i've made over my years uh, in the game and that is that you generally have things in which uh, uh, puzzles. So as part of your, what you're going to do next, as part of your strategic planning, as part of your objective setting, you have what are called puzzles. So puzzles are things where you, if you put all the pieces together in the right order, in the right place, uh, you will finish the puzzle. So there is, you know, a matter of analysis and design that goes through that, but a thought um, processing determination sometimes 
uh, you know, an idea of the picture that the puzzle uh, should look like, you know, maybe even a, a template to get there, and you're really placing the pieces, right? So that's that's one way of looking at the world or, or, or one type of archetype kind of problem that you're trying to focus on. Um, and so you could have both these two archetype problems uh, throughout your strategic objectives, but generally speaking, you have these things that I will refer to as puzzles. And I have stolen that uh, definition from someone else. Like the, the name does not uh, ring a bell uh, specifically, but I will try and find out where I got this analogy from. So you have puzzles, so they are things that, you know, with the right resources and right focus, you can figure out. And then secondly, you have something called mysteries. So mysteries are different to puzzles because you there is no end game, there is no box, there is no um, particular picture that you're aiming for. You actually don't know. You don't know what's going on. And so the interesting thing about mysteries and puzzles is they require different techniques in order for them to be resolved. Um, and so this is really an important factor that links back to the world of business analysis and design thinking, and it sets us on the right path. So if, for example, I'll give you an ex a good example here. If you are figuring out how to increase uh, the amount of customers that you have uh, for your mechanic store, then it's actually a puzzle. It might be a really hard puzzle to work out what is going to attract those customers through. And so you can try stuff and you can measure things and then you can see, uh, you know, what works best and then you can execute on that. Now, the second, uh, so that's a puzzle, a hard puzzle. Uh, think of, you know, sometimes like an escape room puzzle. If you've ever played those, they can be really complicated. There's a lot of steps. You have to use a lot of thinking, different uh, methods. Uh, and that is an example of, you know, how business operates. And then the second type of problem might be the fact that you just don't know some stuff. So this can happen quite often if you're just starting your business. Uh, so you just don't know what the market's like. But if you're established, you kind of do. So if you have a good idea who your target customer is, then, you know, we kind of, it's just kind of a puzzle to work out what might attract them. Whereas if you're venturing into a new market or releasing a new product and it hasn't been done before, if it hasn't been done before in your market, or you're not sure which customers will respond to that product or service, or even if it's a great idea, I would say that's a mystery. Okay, so you could say, so what Ben? What does that mean for how I tackle uh, the this, this certain problem or the problem area that we're discussing? Um, so it came to mind, so it was my, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, one of my favorite authors, um, who said in an article in 2009, Open Secrets for the New Yorker, um, he drew upon works of another former intelligence agent, uh, who wrote the book, uh, Intelligence for, uh, Age of Terror to explain the differences between these two problems. And so... This is a problem domain in which you're trying to, you know, uh, come up with a strategy to solve. So you always start with problems. Uh, problems, uh, sorry, puzzles are problems that have a clear solution, as we talked about, um, even if it's difficult to find. 
they're characterized by having all the necessary information uh, available to solve them. For example, a jigsaw puzzle is a puzzle because all the pieces are there and it's just a matter of putting them together in the right way. So just, just what I covered, really. Mysteries, on the other hand, are problems that do not have a clear solution. They're characterized by incomplete or uncertain information. So uncertainty is a the cone of uncertainty is really important here. For example, a murder mystery is a mystery because there is not enough information to know for sure who committed the crime, like Cluedo. Mag, uh, Gladwell argued that design thinking, so this is the answer to the question, is particularly well suited for solving mysteries because it is a process that is comfortable with ambiguity and uncertainty. Design thinkers are able to embrace the unknowns and use it to their advantage. They are also able to think creatively and come up with new and innovative solutions. Okay, so the distinction between puzzles and mysteries is that they, you know, they, there's helpful, different helpful ways of solving those problems. So if you are, um, if you hit a problem that is uncertain and it's a mystery, then I recommend that you work with a design a consultant, a human-centered design consultant, who is, you know, very much aware of design thinking and the double diamond and all the great IDEO work. And then they can use convergence and divergence to um, come up with uh, a great plan for how to tackle this and how to define customers and the problems that they're experiencing and also what strategies might be useful. So design thinking is one method for mysteries. A lot of times in business, though, we're talking about puzzles. So it's simply, we have all the information, now we just need to execute on it. So it's really important to think about these two archetypes. I think that people miss out. Either one, they go to the extreme and they do design thinking on everything. Uh, so they, you know, even if, even if they already know what the problem is they're trying to solve and, and have all the pieces, or they do the opposite and don't do any design thinking. So it's a matter of really understanding the difference in terms of mysteries and puzzles. And then uh, making sure that you do the work. Once you have a bit more, um, a bit more of a plan around those uncertainties using design thinking, you can then kind of mash them up together and then start looking at these things um, as one set. Uh, they're different, but you know, in one group for planning. A BA, of course, um, and you can do this. You would want to do this as a brief for your design thinker. Um, you would then define problem statements for these various areas. So you've um, you've looked at, you've got all this information in front of you. You've done all your strategic uh, analysis, and so now you've identified there's obviously a gap in the market. You phrase those in terms of problems you want to solve for the customer, uh, gaps in the customer market. They've got a job to be done. There's a pain point. Uh, um, there is a there's going to be an um, a, a potential change in the environment. And so that's going to cause a problem for you. So you phrase them in terms of problem statements is probably the best way. Uh, people like to talk about opportunities, which is kind of the flip side. It's just a language uh, technique in terms of positive and negative. And, you know, sometimes uh, problems aren't, don't, aren't sexy for, for an organization to talk about. But problem statements can be well um, defined. Uh, there are some really good methods, and we have some methods here at the uh, Better Business Analysis Institute for Defining Problems, uh, which I may have covered in another podcast, and if not, I will. Um, so I'm not going to go into that detail. I am, though, going to talk about something that's um, quite quite cool, um, and it is something called Future Games. So if you have heard, I wonder if you've heard of Future Games, or if you define yourself as a futurist. 
So I went down a bit of a rabbit hole. Um, there's a there's just been an election in New Zealand um, where um, a new party got in, uh, the, the the kind of centre right party in New Zealand, and I was and it, it, it was triggered uh, a bit of self reflection in terms of what my beliefs were, and I've never really had a party that I completely align with, and so it sent me on a bit of a exploration in terms of trying to really challenge myself in terms of what my beliefs are. And um, one of those particular uh, theories, that uh, offshoot theories, was um, led me to um, know a bit more about future games uh, in terms of planning for the future and policy, And for example. Uh, future games are basically a type of simulation, a role-playing game, that is used to explore fu uh, possible futures. And so this is actually a really cool process. Um, I know that you're sitting there going, Ben, when are we getting to strategic objectives? But I just think it's really important to, you've done all this external work, it's sometimes fun to um, really step back, do this in a group, and if you're thinking about how you could possibly uh, start doing this planning session instead of just, you know, the boring written way, um, using future games uh, with your team is a really good idea. So the purpose is, you know, future games can be used for different things. We use for edu tech, education, you know, enlightenment around a topic or entertainment, but strategic planning is one of the uses. And so future games are like um, the idea of why we use future games is that it encourages creative thinking and innovation, and it can help participants in, in a team environment, especially in a management team or the ones who are defining these objectives. And you may be the BA or the human-centered designer who, or product manager who's kind of needing, needing these people to make some decisions. Uh, you could facilitate this. Um, there's some guides online that are really good. Um, and they're specific to specific games. Uh, but the idea is that that you want these participants, these managers, this group of people to break out of the usual uh, thinking patterns and come up with new and innovative ideas. So this lends itself more to what we talked about in terms of the mysteries, but it is also applicable for solving puzzles so before we get to you know the the kind of increasing customer retention or something by 20 percent uh how we do that so then we get onto our uh, our initiatives and how we can execute on that um can be limited uh can really be limited so not only can we use something like design thinking to kind of work out what our customers want i think there is it's a really good opportunity in time to try and sh rinse off shackle um, our thoughts uh, when it comes to how we might solve that puzzle. So you might have get the edge pieces first or go around the side. But um, there's a method that you that you get stuck into. And so it's a great time to introduce something like future games or you know workshop participation or voting or big room thinking to improve decision making and 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 be a bit more creative about how you might solve these problems. So the other benefit of future games um, is to understand the complex and interconnected nature of the world and to make better decisions in the face of uncertainty. So you can't control the external factors we talked about. So then how do we make better decisions? And then the idea, of course, is that ideally you want some kind of consensus and alignment. You don't really want a management team going off and just coming up with one strategic objective for each uh, area that they're responsible for 
and then for them to, you know, just go off and do that for their department. You really need cross-functional um, consensus and alignment around a shared vision for the future. And remember, visions, um, we, said, we talked about in another podcast, that missions are long-term. The company's uh, mission doesn't uh, change often, um, but, uh, which, uh, you know, very long-term. But in the medium-term, a vision can change, and it can usually, it's usually associated with uh, the CEO who's come in, you know, with their tenure, five to ten years, uh, potentially, and they might set a new vision uh, throughout this period. And then you can, strategic planning can happen for a year to three, three years. So there are um, a couple of different um, future games that I wanted to talk about. Um, one uh, is called The Future Game, and this game is a team-based simulation in which participants make key strategic decisions for a hypothetical region uh, over a 20-year period. So they make decisions and, um, and kind of come up with some uh, different ideas and come together. Um, there's obviously the idea of just looking at the, the boring, you know, developing a set of scenarios about the future and exploring the implications for the scenarios of the organization. So how you would do that is you would take each one of those um, insights that we've uh, gathered from a strategic analysis and then write up a scenario. What, what would that mean for the company? Good, bad, ugly. And then for the team to explore that. Uh, there's also an example of uh, backcasting. So this method involves starting with a desired future state and then working backwards to identify the steps that would be needed to achieve that state. Uh, so there's some like pretty standard future games, but there are um, some really much more uh, creative games that I would like to throw in. I kind of played my hand there by suggesting that I thought the games that were standard in terms of future games were a little bit boring. Uh, I'm sure you'll have your own opinion, and that's okay, but I wanted to give you three examples of uh, games that I think are a bit more out there and might, you know, it might be a bit more fun for your team. Uh, they are, you know, we're talking about future games, so this is talking about another way of calling these games. They call them foresight games, so they're looking at the future. Um, so one is called the Polak game, so P-O-L-A-K game. Uh, please look it up. It's based on the work of Fred Pollack. Uh, it's a simple and quick game, so 20 minutes. Um, that helps participants understand their own personal images of the future. So this is really gets down to that kind of individual um, biases, which I think is important. So it just involves all you're doing is getting everyone. It's a it's a standing game, so you get everyone in the room when you're running the session, or just suggest you run the session, for example. Uh, you get them to stand in a in a straight line. Uh, you know, just uh, everyone just standing on the line, maybe facing you in the middle of the room. And you ask them two questions. The first question you ask is, do you believe the future will be better or worse uh, than the present? So this, if you're doing this for your organization and you're doing strategic planning, then this is about the organization's future. Do you believe that the future of the organization will be better or worse than it is today? Uh, you've got to give people um, the, you've got to give them permission to be really honest in this session, okay? You don't want group mentality. Uh, that can happen. You get them to focus on that on the line, so they might come, um, they might go back 
for example, if they think that uh, um, the organisation may end up in a worse position today based on the environment, based on the information that they've, you've gathered uh, and you've just reviewed, maybe in a PowerPoint deck of the strategic analysis you've carried out, uh, and make them and make the individuals walk forward if they think the organisation would be better in the future, or they think that the conditions are such that um, the business would be better. Um, I guess the, an important element here is that you would have seen, and I kind of missed this whole point out, but you'll have whatever the current books are looking like, right? All the numbers, uh, EBITDA, figures, uh, growth, uh, costs. For example, if you're a manager and have been in a leadership position, you'll have these numbers. So this will provide some context as well as, um, you know, that's just where you are today, but all the strategic analysis we've done will then talk about some of the um, puzzle pieces that we need to consider. Um, so once you've got people um, doing that, so ideally they're not in the, you don't want them standing along the original line, you've got them either at the back of the room or the front of the room, uh, just in a straight line, you then ask them uh, to move left or right. So you say, uh, you ask them this question, you say, do you believe you, so you in this team, can influence the future? And if they believe they can influence uh, the future, then you want them to move to the right. And if you think, if they think they can't move uh, or influence, if they can't personally uh, influence the future based on the strategic analysis you've done and the books, uh, then you would get them to move to the left side of the room. So you end up having four quadrants effectively by doing this method. If you think of why. Um, situation and you'll have people standing in different areas and then what you do is you know you thank them for that and then you start just challenging each other you ask you get different groups and different quadrants to ask questions of one another and why they're there and then you get people you get you give people the opportunity to move based on that discussion so it starts to hopefully uh you know you don't end up having this group mentality or peer pressure or because the CEO is in one quadrant, everyone follows. Um, and it helps to highlight some of the um, really uh, insights that you're gathering from the strategic planning, and you're actually talking about them. So you have this all documented. They might be all good points, and uh, they are, could become the, uh, the direct problem statements, the input to the problem states you're trying to face. Um, based on all the opportunities, for example, for those who think it's going to be positive, the opportunities you can gather from um, the current market and conditions, and then the problems that you want to face. So that could be a really good starter of 10 for um, taking that information and then planning for the next three years, which is a future scenario because no one knows what's going to happen in the future. The other game in the futures game model um, is the Sakar game. So S-A-R-K-A-R game. Look this up. Um, now this is the game that I found originally based on what I've just talked about in terms of it connects to a, a philosopher. Um, it's a more complex game that explores the different ways in which power can be used to shape the future. And it really talks about cyclic. Uh, power in the future. So if you know anything about microhistories, if you don't, that's fine. But effectively, uh, this uh, game relies on a belief, um, and you, you don't have to believe it for the gameplay, 
Um, but behind it is a belief that there are kind of four archetypes, uh, a cyclic a trend that history goes through. So with the uh, Saka game, um, the game setup involves participants being divided into four groups that represent these archetypes. Okay, so that, like I said, this um, is kind of an experimental learning activity uh, that talks about power and social change in the world. And those four archetypes, um, which you can divide, you can just uh, allocate different um, participants, different groups, doesn't matter what group they're in. One is the worker groups. Uh, they represent the labor force. Um, they value hardworking, uh, practicality, and social justice. Then you have warriors. Uh, they represent the protections of they're the protectors of society. Uh, they value discipline, order, and courage. And then you have the intellect, which represent the thinkers and innovators. They value knowledge and creativity and uh, progress. And then you have the capitalists representing the entrepreneurs and financiers uh, valuing wealth efficiency and economic growth i'm not going to go into the gameplay um, very much but it's quite fun because you can uh, obviously you know you, can have, you can't you don't have to do dress ups but you can get people to come up with their team names and all the rest of it but i will tell you what the purpose of the game is so the the, the game progresses basically through a series of rounds, which represent stages in a social cycle. Um, so workers, then warriors, then intellects, and capitalists. And you introduce these different groups at different times, and you kind of give them a script. Okay, um, and the whole point of this game is for people to look at the different power dynamics uh, between the different archetypes, and reflecting on how this uh, dynamic, the social change dynamics could actually be happening within their own organization okay so it's understanding the power dynamics exploring social change so it's looking at the cyclic you know uh, over time with um, rising and falling of, of this different influence uh, it's appreciating the different diverse ways in which people understand the world uh, perspectives and it actually develops strategic thinking um, because it starts to look at achieving the goal and the idea really the purpose of this game which is a little bit complex please look it up is that you want them to come to some consensus um so even though people have different views and cyclic trends and it's a really good game just to even get people in the mindset of strategic uh, planning the last game i want to talk about uh, is called the two by two scenario exploration system so the two times two S-E-S. -E uh, it's a foresight uh, method, so a future game, that uses two critical uncertainties to create four plausible and divergent scenarios for the future. This has been used by the UN uh, quite a lot. Uh, you can find some resources on their website um, which talks directly about this, and they, t they use this uh, method to solve some very very complex problems this out of all the methods this particular method would be a day workshop the other two could be 20 minutes once you knew the rules 20 minutes an hour a couple hours this would be a full day uh the you can actually kind of you know um there's a whole book for the facilitator or a manual when i say book i'm being generous there but a whole um way to set this up and you need tokens and you need a, um, cards for example 
The method involves really, on a high level, is focusing on the key question or issue that you're trying to explore. So it could be we've got uh, one of the insights from our strategic analysis session, and it needs we need to be really clear and specific um, about that problem. And then we're conducting a step analysis to identify the key drivers and trends that will shape the future uh, of your focal question or issue. Um, step stands for social, technological, economic, environmental, and political factors. So we've actually already talked about these in the PESTLE model. So it's the same elements here. So it's quite useful if you had some insights from your PESTLE model uh, that created um, uncertainties. Um, so the idea is you really work through this through an axis of uncertainty and possible outcomes, and you work together to kind of look at um, steps towards the goal. And you can win this game, or people think they're winning the game, but they're not actually uh, uh, getting to the end fast is not actually the one. The one is the game itself. Um, as we explore the complexities and interdependencies of the real world. Um, and it's actually a really, really, really good game. So look it up, um, Google it. I'm not going to go into any more detail, but I just wanted to give you these three examples, the Pollock, uh, the Sakar, and the 2x2 two two scenario exploration system um, as really top uh, kind of new generation future games that might help you with your strategic planning. So we've covered off strategic analysis technique. We've covered off the business model canvas is one way of relating it to the business. And we've covered off how you might run some workshops, future games specifically, uh, to really discuss this, so at a management level. And so next time we're going to get more down to the written art of strategic objectives. We're going to talk about what smart objectives are and then how they relate to the initiatives uh, that your organization will be executing on in that period, the one to two year, three year cycle. I hope you enjoyed this session. I hope you learned a little bit about future games. I hope you understand the difference between mysteries and puzzles and why you might use some design thinking up front uh, and um, you know how you can use workshopping and coming together to really um, feed in the insights from your strategic analysis to really get together and do some strategic planning together. And so, yeah, next time it will be the output of that strategic planning. See you next time.